African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us on this very cold Johannesburg day where we're broadcasting in the Auckland Park Studios right here at the South Africa's Broadcasting Corporation. You're listening to Channel Africa, uh, where you get the African perspective. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, that's our service to our friends on the continent in Sub-Saharan Africa. Our shortwave service. You can also join us on our audio bouquet channel on DSTV channel 802. You can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at the gathering uh, that is ended yesterday, which is the 31st summit for uh, the African Union. 22 African leaders gathered at the Mauritanian capital. The summit, which is hosted by Mauritania for the first time, is being held amid tight security measures, security in the Sahel region and the Western Sahara conflict between Morocco and the Polisario Front. Some of the issues high on the agenda. Talks are also expected to focus on the deteriorating security situation in the Central African Republic, illegal migration and coordination on uh, fighting organized crime. We also know another big issue that was highlighted uh, was the African uh, continental free trade area, uh, which is a very much big economic uh, integration method that is going to be utilized to make sure that intertrade is more effective on the African continent. Well, to help us on these very serious issues that were discussed at the AU, we joined on the line by Gustavo de Carvalho, who is a senior researcher at Peace Operations and Peace Building at the Institute for Security Studies. I've been wanting to get him in our studios and just to talk to him for a long while, so it's a pleasure having him on the line to speak to him uh, because he's very much uh, one of those leading uh, thought thinkers around issues of uh, peace and security on the African continent. Thank you to also Tokmo Chided who joins us as a researcher from Trelac who's going to give us uh, views on the discussions on uh, the free trade uh, agreement that was discussed and South Africa actually signed it. We're still waiting for Nigeria to sign that particular agreement. But let me start with you, Gustavo. Am I clear enough for you on your side? Yes, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us, Gustavo. Talk more. Can you hear me clearly on your side? Yes, I can. Fantastic. Let me start with you, Gustavo, in terms of, it seems at the beginning of the African Union Summit, the meeting has been hovered over by this ominous cloud of the fresh attacks that took place in Mali this past Friday. This brought about the main issue of uh, security in the Sahel and also uh, the main issues that we're speaking about in the Western Sahara conflict. Uh, Do you think that was uh, the priority this year around? Certainly. I think the issues of security in the Sahel has created a main challenge to the international community and a way in which its own tools 
are able to respond to emerging threats. Uh, when we're talking about the insecurity, not only of the situations in which peacekeepers are dealing with, but also insecurity that the peacekeepers themselves are facing, uh, shows that there is still a long way for international peacekeeping to become more effective. We've seen new attempts like the deployment of the G5 Sahel Force in the region mm. that aims to bring new ways to respond to that. And, and in terms of that, uh, is enough being done in terms of the priorities that are centered around uh, peacekeeping around the uh, African Union in order to make sure that uh, the, the Malian situation is dealt with? Uh, the, the last couple of years have uh, created an acknowledgement that while peacekeeping operations are important, they need to become more effective. Uh, right. Therefore, there has been a variety of new attempts, and almost as a try and error, to ensure that uh, peacekeeping operations are better placed, they're better designed, they're better mandated, and have better support. Uh, that being said, there is still a lot of challenges around ensuring sustainability of peacekeeping operations. From the AU side, uh, the issue of financing of its own operations have been a major challenge. But also the UN side, where we see what happened last week in the UN uh, General Assembly First Committee, sure. where there has been a considerable uh, reduction of funding to UN peacekeeping operations show there is still a long way to go to ensure that peacekeeping becomes a priority for the international community. And let's look at uh, just some of uh, you know the responses when it comes to that issue of the Western Sahara conflict. Uh, the chairperson of the African Union uh, Commission was very strong. We're talking about Musafaki Mahmat suggesting to reopen uh, the bodies uh, representing office of uh, the Munuso. Uh, and th- that was very interesting to hear him highlighting that particular fact the idea of a pan-African organization at the headquarters in Layune. Uh, Do you think that is something that should be a priority in terms of making sure uh, that there is uh, a real focus on uh, the United Nations mission for the referendum in uh, Western Sahara? There's certainly an interesting development within the African Union with Morocco joining the, the Union last year sure. really creates this space within uh, uh, the different African member states to discuss that. Uh, while historically the UN Security Council has dealt mostly with the issue, of course, the AU has discussed that, but uh, uh, with the deployment of the mission in Western Sahara and discussions, we will now potentially see a more active Africa Union and certainly a very welcoming development to ensure that uh, Morocco and other member states are able to find a solution for for the issue. Let me come to you talk more because another big issue was uh, issues of intertrade on the African continent. And we'll keep panning between you and uh, uh, Gustavo de Carvalho in terms of looking at issues of peacekeeping and this issue of uh, the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement, which was a very big topic this year around. Can you outline, just for our listeners who don't understand what we're talking about when we are talking about this agreement, what is it all about? So, thank you very much, Ben. 
Um, so the continental free trade area is the, is a continental-wide free trade zone um, between and among 55 member countries of the mm. African continent, Af- African Union, uh, whose main aim is to create a single continental market for goods, services, with full movement of people and capital investments. Uh, this market encompasses 1.2 billion people and uh, a combined GDP of uh, 3.3.4 trillion US dollars. It's um, it's different from the traditional free trade areas that we know that mainly focuses on that mainly cover goods, mm. uh, trading goods. This uh, it's a comprehensive uh, partnership agreement which encompasses other disciplines like investment competition policy, intellectual property, and trading services. And it is the, the largest, in terms of numbers, uh, free trade area uh, since the formation of the, of the World Trade Organization. And, and looking at it in terms of uh, the optimism around the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement, there seems to have been some... Um, uh, resilience from uh, some or resistance rather from some of uh, uh, the African countries. We know South Africa has just signed the agreement uh, yesterday uh, in Mauritania uh, where still Nigeria is still consulting their uh, business constituency in their country uh, in terms of uh, trying to figure out whether they still should go ahead or remain apprehensive about this agreement. Do we know which countries have actually been very pro this agreement and which countries have actually been actually pending uh, the decision of signing? Uh, Let me start off by South Africa. South Africa, I don't think it was uh, resistant because uh, when they, during the the summit in Kigali in March, they signed the declaration on the establishment of the continental free trade, which shows that they are in support. South Africa did not sign due to domestic legal and administrative issues. The president had to wait uh, to consult the cabinet and other stakeholders before signing the agreement. So now they did this and they have signed uh, just uh, recently. Nigeria is also going through some domestic consultations with uh, business, a lot of business people because they they need to consult the business and see if this is really actually going to benefit mm-hmm. them. And other countries that have, uh, so far we have so 49 countries, including South Africa, that have signed the, the agreement, and other four countries, they've ratified, other six countries, they've ratified the, the agreement, which shows that uh, actually people are, other countries are very interested in this continental free trade and are very optimistic. Mm. And w- when it comes to Nigeria, why is there such an emphasis on Nigeria not willing to actually sign the agreement? Uh, the reason why uh, this has been hit, hitting the headlines is because in, initially when the negotiations for establishing the continental free trade area, Nigeria was among the countries that were championing this continental free trade area. And now everyone was shocked when they put out last minute, uh, when they were supposed to launch it in Kigali, then the president announced that he is not going to go and sign this agreement. Nigeria is very crucial, especially when it comes to this continental free trade area, because it's the largest uh, economy in the continent. So everyone would really want to uh, to have Nigeria on board. So now they're doing the consultations with the local manufacturers to see whether mm-hmm. there's going to be any benefits. Uh, there are going to be any benefits 
from this uh, continental free trade. But the president has uh, all announced that once they're done with the consultation, he is going to 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 sign the agreement. Mm. Well, we are speaking about the main issues at uh, uh, the African Union Summit, which was the 31st of its kind and uh, the first one uh, to actually take place in uh, the Mauritanian capital, Nouakchott. Uh, remember, you can interact with us uh, online on at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. We want to hear your thoughts. Uh, we're speaking peace and security with Gustavo de Carvalho, who's joining us on the line from the Institute for Security Studies. He's the Senior Researcher for Peace Operations and Peace Building. And also we have uh, a researcher at Trelec, Tokmochi Dede, who's also helping us really understand some of the issues highlighted at the African Union Summit, especially looking at the African uh, Continental Free Trade Area Agreement. It's 20 minutes past 11 o'clock. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and speak to other points uh, around the discussions at at the African Union Summit, which concluded yesterday. Free, 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 Nelson Mandela. Join Channel Africa on the 17th of July as we bring you a live broadcast of the Nelson Mandela Lecture by former U.S. President Barack Obama. Make a date with Channel Africa on the 17th of July as we celebrate Nelson Mandela's centenary birthday. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, bringing you the best of the African viewpoint. That's what we're all about. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue, where from Monday to Thursday, we look at the big issues on the African continent. Today, we're joined by Gustavo de Carvalho, who is uh, from the Institute for Security Studies, Senior Research at Peace Operations and Peace Building, and Tok Mochidade joins us. Uh, he's a researcher at uh, Trelec. We discussing the African Union Summit, which took place over the weekend and ended yesterday. And I want to look at other security issues, Gustavo, that were dealt with at the summit itself. I know that also South Sudan and Somalia continue uh, to be a focus in terms of the instability and civil strife we're seeing there. I know that uh, the African Union High-Level Ad Hoc Committee for South Sudan uh, actually convened its seventh meeting on the margins of uh, the uh, sessions of the Assembly of Heads of State and Government uh, under the chairmanship of South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa after the meeting between Kir and Machar last week. It seems the ad hoc committee was supportive of these talks, however, has suggested efforts by EGAD need to be strengthened in this regard. Clearly, South Sudan remains uh, a worry for um, the African Union Yes, certainly. I think uh, when we're talking about South Sudan, it's one of those situations where it really tests 
the ability and the commitment of the international community to support such uh, difficult situations. So when we, we identify responses and, and the meeting that we had in the summit of the high-level uh, 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 panel, it, 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 it's of critical importance, first because it provides ongoing assistance to the eager effort, but it also shows a sign that countries like South Africa are willing to provide stronger support in ensuring continuity and development within the peace process in the country. But certainly we still need to see further efforts, not only from the international community, but also signs of commitment from the parties in South Sudan themselves. And uh, do you think we can be more optimistic around South Sudan? It has been a a continuing problem, and it's based on the relationship between Salva Kiir and Riek Machar. It seems like they are the two points of reference all the time when it comes to the problems in South Sudan. Shouldn't the African Union be thinking of uh, dissolving the, the power dynamic beyond the Salva Kiir and Riek Machar phenomenon? Yes, uh, that's a very important question. Uh, uh, while we often talk about the high-level uh, dynamics between the Commissioner and Salva Kiir, uh, there are other points of, of, of conflict in the country that also have to be addressed. Mm. But that being said, it's, it's important to ensure there is a national political dialogue, that it's inclusive, that bring different parties, but at the same time, acknowledging that that complicated situations will not be resolved over time. Uh, mm-hmm. The moment that we try to identify quick fixes to, to conflict is probably when we are not necessarily finding sustainable responses. Uh, so it's a balance that needs to be found. The African Union again will not be able to do that alone and does require the support from the wider international community, including the United Nations. And also the role, um, Gustavo, of EGAD seems to have been emphasized this time around, especially in South Sudan. How important is the Intergovernmental Authority on Development in participating in South Sudan peace talks? I know also um, these talks are said to going to be taking place in Ethiopia. Yes, uh, uh, roles of organizations like EGAD shows an emerging uh, participation of sub-regional organizations in, in supporting peace processes. Uh, of course, we have countries that are directly interested in resolving the situation. Uh, there has been challenges around the effectiveness of some of the discussions, but it does provide a clear indication that the countries in the region are interested in resolving and reducing the potential spillover effect of a furthering of a South Sudan crisis. Hmm. Well, let me come back to you as well, a talk more in terms of looking at uh, how this free trade area agreement, because it's very important in itself, how it's going to actually change the dynamics of trade on the African continent. And briefly, you highlighted some of the positives, but in your article, the African Continental Free Trade Area and other African Union initiatives for economic integration, you were very optimistic about this free trade agreement. How is this a game changer for the continent? 
Now, I believe that the continental free trader, it's, uh, it's a game changer. Um, it is a bold vision for advancing Africa's uh, development. It has the potential to increase intra-African trade, support structural transformation, to improve agricultural productivity, create jobs, food security, and enhance economic uh, growth and export diversification in the continent. Mm. And um, it is too... Okay. So go ahead, Tokmo. No, it is too early to count, although it is too early to count the, the tangible benefits of the continental free trade here. I believe um, the, it has the potential to increase free trade uh, as the Economic uh, Commission for United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, UNECA, has predicted that the, the free trade area will, will increase um, mm-hmm. The intra-African trade by 52%, which is something that we really need. Because at, at, at the moment, intra-African trade is um, is standing at 15%, uh, which mm. is very much low. Mm. And and in terms of that, you know, after the signing of this agreement, do we know what? processes would be followed post this after this summit because definitely there has been a consensus from a large number of countries this time around and it seems like everyone is on board what needs to happen to make sure that this process is actually effective moving things on after the signing of the agreements so the so now the agreement uh, is not yet in force. It needs uh, 22 countries uh, to ratify the agreement before it enters into force. And it was divided into two phases. The first phase was focusing on trading goods and trading services, which was just completed before the, the, the launching of the African continental free trade area in Kigali. But there are various annexes uh, that are not yet concluded, including the tariff schedules, the specific commitments on on services, as well as the rules of origin. These are outstanding issues that are still ongoing. Then the second phase, which is expected to commence um, as soon as possible, is focus is the phase two, mm-hmm. which is focusing on investment, intellectual property, and competition policy. Mm-hmm. So the African Union expects that these will be concluded by early next year, the second phase. Then it starts being operational. It becomes operational. Okay, thank you for giving us that uh, a context of understanding what are the processes that are going to be followed. Just joining us now, we have on the line Tokmo Chidede, researcher, trailer, Gustafa de Carvalho, who is a senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies in the Peace and Operations and Peace Building uh, Department, which swing back and forth uh, from uh, peacekeeping issues uh, to issues that have to do with the African continental free trade area with the two gents on the line. But coming back to you, Gustafa, I want to come back to the issue of uh, how do we actually strengthen uh, partnerships, which is something that you've emphasized in your recent uh, uh, piece or uh, article that you've wrote on the African Union and its work with the United Nations. Um, what central 
kind of points will actually make sure that this relationship is more cemented? Because so far, we are seeing some efforts, but it seems like there is some fragmentation, especially in the last two years or so. There wasn't such a unified um, uh, kind of approach to peace and security between the African Union and uh, the United Nations. Thank you very much. Uh, I think that's a critical question uh, regarding the future of the role of African peace support operations and Africa Union's responses to peace and security at large. Uh, While on the one hand we identify there is increased partnership between the UN and the AU, and we've seen that in issues such as the African Somalia and so on, there's still a lot of issues regarding how that partnership can be strengthened. Mm-hmm. And, and, and partially for me is at the core of the identification of what does African solutions to African challenges mean. Because while we talk about that issue often as a means for Africa to take leadership in its own responses, when issues of African solutions to African challenges emerged in the 1990s, it was largely because there was an understanding that the international community was not willing or able to respond to crises in the continent. So therefore, when we're talking about responses to conflicts in Africa, there should be a key understanding that this is a shared responsibility of the international community to support the role of the African Union. So, of course, we're still going to have challenges around the financing and funding and, and time to with the discussions on the first committee shows that these financial issues will become even more complicated. But it's important then to ensure that we have a streamlined cooperation not only between political actors within the UN and the African Union, but also the bureaucratic systems that are behind them, namely the United Nations Secretariat and the African Union Commission. Mm. And in terms of looking at that issue of finance, why is it uh, that uh, the African Union is starting to have challenges in this regard? Is it because of the fact that um, um, external powers are are becoming more wary of financing the African Union? Or is it because it itself is struggling independently outside of external funders to deal with its own finances? Uh, I think b- b- both both issues are mm. relevant. Mm. Uh, the issue of financing of African peace support operations has been a problem since the creation of the African Union. A majority of the funding to African peace support operations comes from outside of the continent. But there is then a sense that in order to make sure that the African Union efforts are able to become more predictable and sustainable, we need to identify new mechanisms. Uh, one option that was developed a couple of years ago with the reform process that are being currently spearheaded by Rwandan President Paul Kagame relates to these discussions around how can we first increase the African funding to its own peace support operations, but also brings the request that the United Nations will provide sustainable funding from its own uh, self-contribution budget. Uh, of course, the discussions in New York now are to reduce funding of peace operations. There is an enormous pressure around peacekeeping budgets and an increasing pressure to make uh, peace support operations and peacekeeping operations to be able to do more with less. 
So we still have a lot to be addressed regarding that. Uh, all, all the discussions within the African continent around uh, increased funding will still take some time as there is a, 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 a potential uh, impact on national budgets. Uh, but at the same time, we need to make sure that peace support operations in the continent become more sustainable and predictable. Whether we're talking about internal funding or external funding. Mm. Let's look at that nature of um you know, conflicts on the African continent. This is my final question uh, to you, Gustavo, in terms of uh, security of terrorism in West Africa, still one that is supposed to be taken into consideration. But we also know that sometimes conflict on the African continent takes place uh, where we see uh, the civil, the strife caused by rebel groups. We've got examples of the Democratic Republic of Congo, the same in South Sudan. So, it's very difficult to have a clear security strategy for Africa. Um, you know, with this kind of security instability and the complexity of it, is there one specific way to actually look at security on the African continent or is the African Union struggling to deal with it because of its multiple uh, manifestations? I think that's a critical question in assessing the utility of an organization like the Africa Union. Uh, I think since the creation of the Africa Union, we we saw clearly that the organization was adapting its own responses, and currently we face several challenges around that. So when we're talking about operations and responses that are deployed in, in situations where there's no peace, keep an emerging threat to peacekeepers uh, in relation to terrorism attacks, we need to ensure that the AU is able to become more nimble, to become more adaptable, and really not to find a one-size-fits-all solution. We, 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 we talk about responses like the G5 Sahel Force or even the task force to address the Boko Haram issue as different emerging types of tools that are ongoing and being developed, and I think being able to be that responsive and adaptable will be critical in ensuring the success of not only African Union responses, but also regional countries, regional organizations, and other international organizations such as the UN. Well, thank you, Gustav, for, for giving us your time. Let's wrap up the conversation with you, uh, talk more in terms of uh, this issue of uh, the continental free trade area. And uh, Let me give you my final question in terms of the benefits. Uh, I want to know from you in terms of this free trade area, in terms of us normal consumers, how will it benefit us? Because sometimes it can be actually you know, these issues can be kind of high level and sometimes they don't reach us ordinary consumers. Do we have benefits uh, when it comes to this agreement? Yeah, so the benefits of the continental free trade here are vast and it's going to benefit uh, various stakeholders, not only consumers, not only importers, exporters, but also consumers. Uh, due to the fact that um, now that businesses will be able to trade across the continent easily mm-hmm. by the reduction of tariffs, reduction of uh, non-tariff barriers and through trade facilitation. So now the fact that those things are not, that are 
restricting trade will be removed, it it makes it easy for business to to move their their mm-hmm. goods across borders. Mm-hmm. And now consumers they will have access to vari- various goods and products mm-hmm. that are going to flood their markets. Well, thank you, gents, for giving us your time. It's been a fantastic conversation indeed, especially looking at the key points at the African Union Summit. Thank you to Talk More Chidede, researcher at Trelec. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, you focusing on the African continental free trade area. Thank you for giving us uh, those uh, permutations of some of the issues that came out from the conference and what we could expect from that area, uh, trade area agreement. Thank you to Gustavo de Carvalho. I know we can't touch on everything when it comes to peace and security, but uh, thank you for giving us your time and giving us that uh, brief analysis on some of the key issues uh, that were looked at at uh, this year's African Union Summit. Thank you both for giving us your time. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Just to remind you that Gustafa de Carvalho is a senior researcher in peace operations and peace building at the Institute for Security Studies. Well, that discussion takes us to 11.40 Central African time. What are your thoughts on these key issues on the African Union? Do you think it's effective? Give us your thoughts on our Twitter handle at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One. Remember, you can also send us your emails on info at channelafrica.org. And uh, you can also give us your WhatsApp thoughts on the discussion of today and tell us what you think of our programming on our WhatsApp number, plus two seven uh, six three zero zero three three two seven. That's plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. Let's have some music. This is Ishmael Law. This one is titled Car.
Bye, bye. 